You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Christina Cardoza, news editor of SD Times. Hello, and you're listening to What the Dev. I'm your host today, Christina Cardoza, and joining me is Corey Petty, Chief Security Lead at Status, to talk about Web 3.0. Hey, Corey, thanks for joining us today. Hi, uh, pleasure, to, pleasure to be on the show. So I've been hearing the term Web 3.0 for at least the last year or two. It's been sort of talked about for a while. So before we get started into really the meat of this, do you just want to give a brief description of what we're talking about when we say Web 3.0 and what was Web 1.0 or Web 2.0? Yeah, it's a, I guess that answer is changes dependent upon who you ask. My definition of this is an attempt to restructure a lot of the base infrastructure for digital communications, which, uh, which includes value um, now uh, in such a way that um, you don't centralize a good portion of the power and value in the hands of a, of a few. And that means also um, you don't have this kind of asymmetric balance of uh, a small amount of people being able to control uh, the outcome of, of, of the larger group. And, that's kind of I think, the general idea of what we're trying to do is, is, is distribute that power and value across the users of any given system. Uh, and, and that's a very complicated thing to do. And I think it kind of goes up against a lot of the traditional ways uh, the internet was built in terms of how computers are linked together and the applications that are built on top of them. Great. So, um, you know, what is the landscape or the infrastructure today that really needs to change that we're talking about 3.0? I would argue that just the, the overall reliance on the client-server model, um, kind of how, how how clients or people who use applications connect to uh, where the code is actually being run, and the overall distribution of where the information lives associated with the applications that are built on this this internet infrastructure. Um, I'm not saying that we need to throw it out the window. I'm saying that there needs to be uh, optional models depending on where people would like to keep value or their risk or um, their personal data and building applications in such a way that uh, the developers get to choose the right technology associated with the relationships that are being had um, on whatever program or platform they're building as opposed to being pigeonholed into a, a, a kind of a unified model of this is how you build things this is where you keep data this is how you keep it safe and this is how you serve your users. Yeah, you bring up um, a good point with the the data and where to put all of this personal information. So data and privacy have become huge topics over the last couple of years. Is this sort of driving the move towards Web 3.0? Yeah, I believe so. I, I personally believe that because if you look back at originally um, Bitcoin, which is what I think started a good portion of this, uh, what it solved was the, the, the Byzantine general's problem. Um, and that is, how do you create a digital scarcity and uh, have it in such a way where everyone agrees that I can send you something over the internet and I don't need to trust a third party to verify that it happened? The system does that. So it's, it's pulling trust from um, third parties and kind of putting it inherent into the system, which then allows for digital ownership, but something that was completely lacking before for Bitcoin, at least completely lacking in a, in a trustless and decentralized way. Once you have that, you're then able to kind of figure out um, 
other type of uh, models or, or ways in which you can use digital communications to have digital scarcity or digital ownership for that matter. Uh, and so like from there, we've kind of grown and f- tried to figure out how to have, how, how to build these systems better to be more efficient because it's, it's quite difficult as you distribute power uh, or value or, or even just the ability to try and come to an agreement on any given decision across more and more parties, the communication complexity grows quite a bit. And the, the kind of algorithms and stuff that are used to uh, do that automatically aren't like we've been trying to develop them in like the scientific and academic community for a very long time, but only until recently have we come to a point where they're applicable and usable. And Web3 or kind of this emergence of building applications and infrastructure this way is only kind of we're getting our legs and figuring out as traditional web and how how pervasive, I don't want to say pervasive, but how ubiquitous it's become across our lives has been developing and solving scalability problems for, for decades now. And so it's 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 certainly a, an interesting topic and, and a fun place to be, but we have a very long way to go. So along those lines, a long way to go, you know, we keep saying Web 3.0 is coming, what to expect from Web 3.0. So we're not at Web 3.0 yet. Are we still sort of trying to build the building blocks towards it? I think so. Yes. I mean, we, I don't, I don't even know what to call the point in which it's there. Uh, maybe when people are as comfortable as they are with using applications on like, like Facebook and, and the traditional web, as they are with using uh, some of the decentralized applications that are being built on, on platforms like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. Uh, then we can say like, we're at 3.0 uh, because what happens is, is not only does the infrastructure change and the way you build things change that responsibility on the end user changes, which is a very difficult thing to do um, to get, to get mass adoption. Say for instance, if you're pushing all of this power and value to the edges, to the end users and so on and so forth, you're also pushing the responsibility to them. Uh, And that thing, that means they have to change the way that they interact with an application their kind of underlying intuition and take responsibility for the value that they now have, and have to protect. And so the security models get pushed to all of them. A lot of these things change. And so um, not only does that make it difficult for the end user, it makes it difficult for the people who are building the applications that are serving these people to then present them with the right amount of information at the right time to not only not overwhelm them, but let them make good decisions because they have to make them now. And and I, I think what this is going to eventually facilitate is uh, people having better relationships with the like applications that they're using and the people they're using them with that are more akin to the real world relationships that they have and the groups and, and the groups of people that they're in. But uh, it's, a, it's like I said, it's a tremendous amount of work to get there. And if you think about um, kind of how we use things today and the applications we use and the relationships we have with the internet, uh, it's, it's somewhat unhealthy, or at least I would argue it's somewhat unhealthy. And to get to the point where you have that is a, is a long, slow process. And I said, it's like a, it's not like a turn on a switch and we're there. It's an eventual progress of like figuring out how to do this because we're, we have to take so many small steps to get to a place that's so far away. Mm-hmm. As we all know, change is hard. It's one of the hardest things even in software development as things are changing to change the culture or change the way people just do things. So how can we educate end users or prepare them for this shift? Hmm. It's a really good question. I think uh, games come a long way into trying to, because for one, it's not only like, like 
So educating the users is, is, is a hard part, but we as developers also have to figure out how to do this appropriately and efficiently. And uh, it's very difficult for us to educate people when we don't exactly know how we're going to do it in the first place. Uh, we have we have fun models. We have uh, good ecosystems that have a significant amount of money in them, but there's a long way to go until they're serving you know, uh, a, a larger portion of the financial infrastructure and, and, and maintaining a lot more value. Uh, and are just usable by an everyday person. So um, as we learn to do that, we'll, we'll find better ways to educate the users. But it starts with giving somebody something to do and then learning from how they use it and what, what things they go wrong, which means that through the process of getting to Web3 and having, a, and having an ecosystem where um, I'm able to understand what data I'm giving up when I'm using it or how much I would like to give up or what I'd like to keep private, uh, I'm probably going to have to fail in some cases along the way. But I think it's our goal. And a lot of what we're trying to do is to do that in such a way where uh, the process of failing isn't catastrophic. So that we can learn a lot of lessons without giving up too much of uh, the things we hold sacred. So what are some models or lessons you've learned along the way is there anything that sticks out in particular that you know working well for web 3.0 or any best practices you've come across if you look at the early days of ethereum uh a good, a good portion of their success can be attributed to uh the like low barrier of entry for developers on how like the, going from zero to building something and having fun with it and trying it uh, attracted a tremendous amount of developers to the ecosystem. And they built a lot and they tried a lot of things and a lot of things failed. And, and we've grown quite a bit over the almost five years now that it's been in existence. Uh, but what we've learned throughout that process is the process of developing secure financial uh, applications and smart contracts is very different than uh, the processes and procedures for developing web apps, say. like What you need to take into account what risks and um, like things you need to pay attention to are drastically different for this. It's much more akin to financial infrastructure uh, or aerospace engineering where you cannot have a fault. And so as opposed to web development where it's, it's failing isn't that big of a deal. And we've learned a lot about best practices in terms of security and privacy and building things that don't fail or can't fail or have fail safe whenever um, something bad happens. Uh, over these past years, as opposed to just trying it, throwing it out, throwing money in it, and it either like disappearing out of thin air or being stolen by somebody. And those are incredibly valuable, uh, especially when you're building something like a smart contract that once it's built and deployed onto the, on the Ethereum blockchain, for instance, it can't really be changed. It's, it's out there and anyone can use it. So if you don't do that correctly, you don't take the time to assess risks, do threat modeling, and all these different things that need to be done before it's pushed out into production, then there can be catastrophic consequences. And when you're talking about something that can potentially uh, change financial infrastructure, those are some very severe consequences. And I think that we've learned quite a bit in terms of best practices, how to do this stuff, educational material, or even just um, how it works in the back end uh, to like make that better and easier as we keep getting better and better at it. So what can web developers do to keep Web 3.0, the journey moving along? What do they really need to be preparing themselves for or preparing their applications for? Um, that's a great question. And I think uh, I, can, I can 
referenced, I think, as two episodes ago or a few episodes ago on your podcast, you, you had a security engineer on to talk about kind of what security means in even just a distributed environment of the workplace, right? Uh, it becomes a shared effort. And what developers need to do uh, in general, and this is, I think this goes across the board, is to start thinking about uh, risks associated with what they're building, where risk lies, and um, do almost continuous threat modeling on what they're building as they build it. Uh, what value is being stored in this thing? Who has access to it? What happens if it if someone else gets access to it? Can anything be done? So on and so forth. Because those questions become paramount and much more important in the context of Web3 because all of that information, all of that value, all of that responsibility gets pushed to the end user. And you don't have these fail-safes like reset my password or forgot my password or roll back this transaction because I didn't mean to do it and so on and so forth. Most of the time in Web3, because it's built on cryptography and there's no like central administration, things can't be rolled back. So if you're not asking those questions as you're developing things, which is just good practice anyway, there could be really, really bad consequences. So in addition to privacy and security and, you know, changing the underlying infrastructure, what are some other core features of Web 3.0 that developers or even end users should be aware of? It, I, I don't know. It's, it's a very, very broad ecosystem that I think we're playing around with. Uh, it, it changes the paradigm of how people communicate with each other and what can be done digitally. And I think it's one of those situations that we're so early into it that bringing domain experts from various places of traditional web and development and engineering uh, has a really, really, really good benefit to us figuring out how to do things either uh, better than we used to do them or completely new. And that domain expertise that comes from outside of this kind of Web3 bubble, if you want to call it, uh, is, is, is incredibly helpful. And it allows us to kind of bring in new blood, uh, new perspectives, ways of looking at things. Maybe that domain expertise teaches us something that we're doing wrong to do it in a better way. And I think just the more attention coming in and playing with things, taking some tutorials, uh, playing with the applications that currently exist and pointing out think where they're wrong is incredibly valuable. Great. And how would you say we can get people on board with Web 3.0? I know we talked about, you know, end users are a big part of this. Developers are a big part of this. But how do developers then get their organizations, you know, on board with Web 3.0? Or is the government uh, doing anything to facilitate this new movement? I think governments are trying. Um, I, I know that they're looking into doing, uh, like there's, there's already a, a, a large movement of transitioning the current financial infrastructure into a digital one. How they do that is going to be based on what we're doing in the Web3 ecosystem. Digital scarcity uh, and, and money is going to be the foundation for how governments implement their money supplies. What's interesting about the way Web3 is growing and a lot of the ideology behind it is it's all open source. It's, it's very community-based. And so the, if, if people are interested, it's just go to the web, go to the websites, go to the GitHub repositories, open, open issues, play with it, figure out how to do things. It's very easy to insert yourself into this ecosystem and start using it, start asking questions because we're all very open to trying to help and push the ecosystem forward. Uh, so if someone is curious, don't hesitate to ask a question. Uh, because the way that this thing grows will probably end up having drastic, drastic influence to 
how money gets moved around the world. And I, and I'm very happy that it started from an ideology of, of, uh, being so community-based and open to the ecosystem to evaluate, uh, share, help, and, and, and do things because open source code is, is the only way this has to move forward. It's the only way it can move forward, in my opinion. So based on what you're seeing, what would you say, where would you say we are at with Web 3.0? Like, what are we focused on right now? And what do you think the next step should be? Where we are right now is very much um, infrastructure building and experimentation we're trying to understand uh exactly how these systems work and can scale to service the globe um there are end user applications that currently exist uh, i would argue that those will not exist in their current form when we've quote unquote hit web3 so we're at a very very early nascent stage of uh what this technology will end up being. That means that it's a lot of low-level stuff, how computers talk to each other, uh, fundamental protocol development, mechanism design, um, and the the economics associated with digital scarcities that live on these systems. It's it's a lot of multidisciplinary, complicated stuff. And there's whatever your expertise is, there's room for you now because we don't quite know the best way to share this information and whatever we're building to the end users and how it is best for them to absorb it. So like people like designers, UX engineers, uh, things like that, they're desperately needed to help the engineers who are building it understand how to convey it. Uh, And then distributed network engineers, underlying protocol developers, all that stuff is necessary for building out that infrastructure and how you store and serve this information across the network. And so and anywhere in between those two things. So in my opinion, like we're very, very, very early, and there, it's a green field of exploration uh, of something that could potentially change the world. Great. Well, thank you so much, Corey, for taking the time out to speak with us about this. I believe that's all the time we're going to have on the podcast today. But before we go, is there anything else you want to say about Web 3.0, how people can get a part of the movement or the journey, uh, where they can get educated, or anything else about the company you wanted to add? Yeah, sure. So we work at Status, um, and our goal at Status is to try to provide an interface to the to Web3. We're trying to give people the tools uh, and technology so that they can use this technology, so they can use all of this stuff uh, intuitively and securely and privately. Uh, so we're very open to trying to get people on-ramped into this ecosystem and push them in the direction that is beneficial to them if they want to just use it or if they want to develop on it or if they're just curious. So go to statusim, status.im to learn more. Um, you can always talk to us in our Discord. You can download Status Now and talk to us there. Uh, or you can go to our GitHub repositories and start opening up issues and telling us uh, what you think could be better or asking us how things work. Okay, great. Thanks again, Corey. Until next time, you guys have been listening to What the Dev.